It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Here we go with Malia Jacobson as your host. Hello, and welcome to Sleep Well, Stay Well with me, your host, sleep and health journalist Malia Jacobson. Thank you so much for being here with me. Today's episode focuses on the surprising connection between sugar intake and sleep. And if you don't think that your sugar intake affects your sleep, well, you might have a thing or two to learn. I know that I did. Today's guest is author and addiction expert, Michael Collins. He wrote the best-selling book, The Last Resort Sugar Detox Guide, and he's a current board member and past chairman of the non of a nonprofit group that studies sugar and food addiction and the founder of sugaraddiction.com. He has a lot to share about the connection between our diet and the way that we sleep and a few insights for all of us, whether you decide to reduce your sugar intake or whether you're just along for the ride and want to learn a few things. Please join us. Our conversation is great. Here we go. Mike, thanks so much for being here with me today to talk about sugar. Thanks, I'm honored. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I think it's really topical right now, something that is good to explore and something that I haven't talked about yet on the podcast. So you take an interesting approach to sugar and food addiction. You approach the topic through the lens of addiction. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, my background is in addiction, addiction recovery. I've been sober for 36 years. And when I got sober, I started to kind of look at this, but then I went on to have a regular life and a regular business career, but I always kept an eye on it. And I didn't use sugar myself after about three or four years. So I've been off sugar, flour and caffeine for you know over 30 years now. But I started to see when I started coaching, I, 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 put up sugaraddiction.com about 10 years ago, but I didn't really do anything with it. I mean, I put the best information on the planet out, but, and some people took it and ran with it. But when I started coaching about three or four years ago, I started to understand and started to see that, um, you know, what I had seen in the early days when I got off it is that this is exactly the same as addiction uh, to drugs and alcohol. And I've come to believe that it truly is a substance use disorder, which is the new fancy name for addiction so that, you know, we can reduce stigma. And I ended up as the chairman of the Food Addiction Institute. And, you know, now we're trying to get it into the DSM-6 and the World Health 11, uh, where we will actually name sugar addiction as a malady. And, uh, you know, folks always kind of poo-poo it. They joke about it. I'm addicted to bread. I'm addicted to sugar, candy. But in reality, they haven't worked with what, where I got started, which was late stage food addicts. I always uh, talk about the proverbial person who lost a hundred pounds and then kept it off and, you know, got a healthy recovery and a healthy life back. If you talk to that person, it had absolutely nothing to do with the diet world or eat less and exercise more had a lot to do with the exact same recovery that alcoholics and drug addicts go through. You have to reorder your emotional wellness. You have to reorder how you deal with emotions, both past emotions and current emotions. And once people kind of understand that and separate it, 
And, and I always tell people that they could only spend five minutes in my inbox or five minutes in my instant messenger. They would see that the, uh, uh, you know, how much pain is out there. And the last part of this kind of answer to the question is um, very, very telling in that a lot of the people that are in my program, those folks, uh, when I went public with my substance use disorder after my parents died about four years ago, I had this flood of people who were sober from alcohol and drugs, five, 10, 15 years off of, you know, what people call quote unquote real drugs or hard drugs, but they could not put down the sugar. And to a man, to a woman, every one of them said it was harder to get off of the sugar than it was to get off of the hard drugs. So, you know, it's early in the identification as sugar, as a substance use disorder, but it is, as they say, in the, uh, a lot of different topics, this is the right side of history and this is just a matter of time. Sure, yeah, thank you for outlining that. And just for context, when you're talking about sugar, are you talking about refined white sugar, the granular stuff that we get in the grocery store and, and use in baking and people put in their coffee? Or are you talking about any type of sugar in terms of fruit sugars and, and all of the different sugar-like substances that, that people use? Yeah, no, it's a, <clears throat> that's getting to be a little bit more complicated than people understand because um, when you start to see the, the detox patterns of folks, they are truly drawn back to uh, using or re-ingesting sugar when they uh, ingest a lot of fructose. In other words, high uh, fructose fruits and even sweeteners like Pavlov's dogs, you know, the neural pathways in your brain are like wired together, fired together. And what we have to move people away from is the, the, the taste of sweetness that they've developed. Once they're off it for 30 or 60, 90 days, those folks, you know, regular sweet stuff tastes very syrupy and you can't eat it. Carrots taste sweet, peppers taste sweet. Now, some folks, uh, macadamia nuts, they taste like candy. You know, I mean, once, once folks get off it for a certain period of time, then possibly about a third of people can go back and use moderately. But then there's a third of people that biochemically, they just aren't gonna be able to. And that's the hard thing to accept. And I do get a lot of pushback on the fruit in the early days, but after people slip a couple times, they kind of, they come around a little bit better and they understand it. But the answer to the question is, it's pretty much all sweetness because in nature, you know, we weren't, we didn't get much fructose, but once a year uh, up till about 300 years ago, and uh, our bodies just aren't able to handle it. You know, fructose can only be processed in the liver. And so, it's anything that contains uh, large amounts of fructose, which includes fruits, sadly, sometimes for some folks. All right, thank you, That that's uh, good to know. Okay, so the topic of this podcast is sleep. And I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't connect sleep and sugar consumption, but of course, what you eat has a profound you know, impact on your overall energy levels, your wellness. Can you talk about how sugar affects our energy and our well-being? Oh my goodness. I mean, we have something we call non-scale victories. People always originally show up to lose weight. You know, that's, that's usually their primary goal. 
Nobody well, just wants to quit sugar just for the yeah, sake of it. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody just volunteers for this. Yeah. Uh, they've struggled with it for many years and they've gained a pound or two or a lot more every year for 20, 10 or 20 years. And now it's now they get it. But to answer your question, I mean, I think next to the brain fog and the skin clearing up and obviously the weight, but it, the sleep is the most important or at least people tell me the best benefit that they get from quitting sugar completely. A, uh, people think that they're hot at night when they, or they're in menopause if they have night sweats. But when they start to realize and work with us for a little bit, they realize that 90% of wet uh, night sweats are actually sugar withdrawals. And I've got a hundred stories for that, but um, the second part is, so can you, you wait now, can you talk about that a little bit more? So what's the mechanism that's, you know, ha what's happening there? Is it just the body kind of detoxing? It's absolutely a yeah. detox. I'll tell you a cute story. My mom told me, you know, that growing up that I was a perfect angel. And I said, mom, come on, every, every parent says that to their kid. And, uh, she said, no, no, when you were little, um, you would fall asleep and you would have wet hair and a perfect halo around your pillow of wetness, right? And I said, oh, that's kind of cute. So I had uh, kids, I had two twins, and I raised them with no sugar, no flour, no caffeine in the womb until they were six years old. And I can tell you the whole story if you want, but the short version about this is that when, when we finally gave in at ro a roller skating rink birthday party, another one, um, and we regained our resolve the next day, but we allowed them to have sugar that day at that birthday party. And I had never seen this phenomena, right? I was like, I've never seen that in my kids. I go in there that night, both of them, soaking wet hair, perfect halo, wet night shirt. And moreover, the, uh, the people who go through the detox with it, you know, it's numbering in the thousands now, um, all talk about night sweats, right? And that usually happens two or three times. And then they start to realize that the night sweats that they used to have was the ebb and flow of sugar in their life. So they, you know, eat a lot one night and, you know, then they eat a little the next day, but the second night they start sweating because they have a little bit less. And this is a very common phenomenon. And one of the signs if you have an accidental ingestation after you've been clean a certain time, you will sweat at night. And yes, the answer to the question is that it's, it's a detox method for sugar. Okay. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted you. You were going on the list. Um, oh yeah. The, 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 another, the other one is the, uh, the peeing at night, the urination at night. Um, the most exciting part for people is that they can finally sleep through the night without having getting up two or three times to go to the bathroom. And this is obviously, I mean, maybe not so obviously, but this is actually a uh, frequent urination is a symptom of prediabetes and diabetes uh, because the body's struggling to get the toxins out, you know, first worst toxins going out. Uh, it's not even detoxing some of the other stuff. It's just getting the sugar out. And that's why we have to get up and go to the bathroom all the time. The, second, the next part of it is people wake up more refreshed and they need less sleep. And I've got like hundreds of testimonials to this, to this uh, effect. And so, yeah, I mean, getting off sugar absolutely will help your sleep. It'll change it dramatically um, uh, in, in a million different ways, but those are just the, you know, the big ones. 
Right. And that is consistent with not only what I've heard anecdotally outside the podcast that people who take, you know, who reduce their sugar intake, you know, they feel like they need less sleep, they're less tired, but mm -hmm. the sleep that they have is more refreshing. Um, but also I've had a couple of experts who have mentioned um, something that kind of aligns with what you're saying, which is that if you have a you know bedtime snack or something that, that has a lot of sugar, then you're gonna experience that blood sugar plummet over the course of the night. You'll wake up hungry. Um, you know, I, I like to correct that you will wake up in withdrawals, withdrawals. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, stabilizing the blood sugar over the course of the night. So I think, um, some of the recommendations that some of the sleep physicians that I've spoken with have, you know, revolved around stabilizing your blood sugar over, over the night, you know, um, and that that can make a big difference in your sleep. And yeah, just on the night sweats, that just reminded me, um, I mean, I'm a vegan um, for the past few years. Mm. Um, I, uh, I guess, what is it, 2021? So I guess like four years now. Um, and, but, and I'd always thought of myself as a hot sleeper who just, I um, wouldn't, wouldn't wake up drenched in sweat, but I, I always thought, you know, I, I um, would have some sweatiness at night and think that I'm just a hot sleeper. And when I, changed my diet, all of that just went away. And it of course wasn't an outcome that I was looking for, but that de definitely supports the, the thought that that is a, you know, a mechanism for your body ridding itself of toxins kind of overnight. Um, and, and a, a function of maybe inflammation that's in your body. I, I'm not sure, but it, it's something that I was, it wasn't an outcome that I was looking for or something that I really even made the connection um, until, you know, quite, a, until I was quite a ways into the, the change that I'd made, but, um, absolutely. I mean, what you eat can have such a profound impact. Um, so I'm curious though, you know, I guess this takes us back a couple steps in my questioning. I did want to ask you if you're seeing people struggle in a different way or more people come into this just over the past year, um, as we've been dealing with the pandemic and its impact on everyone's eating habits, people are seem to be um, struggling more with their weight um, or their eating habits as their routines have changed so much. Has have you seen these these effects? Is it changing the way people are talking about this or experiencing this or working with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean. Well, I just read a couple of days ago that the average people, average of 1,800 people surveyed was 29 pounds weight gain. And I was just kind of blown away. I mean, they're calling it the pandemic 15 or the pandemic whatever. And um, that's exactly what we found, especially in January where people were, you know, they didn't know what was going on since last March and, and they were hibernating in their home or forced to stay in their home, whatever. And they, uh, you know, they just got tired of it. And then we had this flood at New Year's um, where people are, there's, it's interesting because I think uh, a certain percentage of people um, used it for good and introspection and positive. And then some people just fell back to the old comfort foods, but it was accelerated because they didn't have any social pressures or any kind. They were, so they just, you know, they were using their, their, their go-to, their emotional management system was on overdrive, it was financially problematic for some folks. And 
um, you know, they didn't know what the future was going to hold. So they managed their emotions via food, via comfort food. And uh, we all know most, most comfort foods has sugar in it. So yeah, it's been a, it really has been a, a sea change, a, not even a little sea change either, a big sea change in how people are looking at it, focusing on it and, uh, you know, readjusting. And now in 2021, waking up to the fact that, you know, they're going to either use this for good or they're going to, you know, just slide down the, the worst, worst lane. So, yeah. Right. So part of this work then must be learning how, um, learning more, um, maybe productive or healthier ways to deal with our emotions um, instead of turning to food and sugar. Is that something that you address with people and, and how are you working through that? Yeah, it's the core of our work. It, it truly is. And it takes a little setup as I like a podcast format because you know, again, people think it's uh, eat less and move more. It's what the diet industry has lied, the $72 billion diet industry has lied to us for decades about. And it's just not true. You know, the, the, the creating or making or getting uh, approved sugar addiction as a substance use disorder uh, is a big goal of ours simply because uh, if you look at it, a lot of people who have ever been to treatment for drugs and alcohol, they know this. It's a very common construct. And uh, if you started using drugs and alcohol when you were 14 or 15 years old, you stopped growing emotionally and that your life's a mess, your finances are a mess, your career's a mess, your relationships are messy. And you just didn't handle the emotional part of your life well. Well, think about a person, a child who's very small, and their mother literally did this to them, where they were busy, they had other kids, they had a job, and they would hand them a cookie and head them to the TV when they were crying, as opposed to getting down and comforting them and find out what's wrong with them. And that's what I, when I talk about that proverbial person who's gone through a 100, 200 pound weight loss, uh, they talk about this part of the reordering of their emotional life and understanding that they need to have substitutions, be it a hug or yoga or a walk, usually something that requires effort or energy to get to reorder the dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine GABA to literally rewire your brain to handle your emotions better, differently uh, than your old go-to, which was sugar. And it's this un, this people not knowing about this emotional analgesic power of sugar and not giving it credit for that is why we're in this um, obesity epidemic and obesity crisis. Uh, and when people see that, understand that, get it at a deep level, journal it out and understand that they use sugar abusively to manage their emotions, then they get well. And that's pretty much like, a, like I say, the core of our work. Okay, well, thank you. That sounds like a, a really powerful process. So when people approach you about getting started and maybe they're um, nervous, they're hesitant um, about making such a drastic step, how do you work with them? And what, what are kind of the first steps that people can take? Well, yeah, the first part is... Uh, a physical detox, which people kind of poo-poo is, you know, not going to be a big deal. They just quit. And many people have tried for many years and decades and they still can't. And so 
uh, you know, people losing limbs, going blind and uh, getting diabetes to diagnosis and they still can't stop. So um, they go through the physical withdrawals uh, first and that takes somewhere between, you know, two and 14 days. And we help them with that by showing them and anticipating, helping them anticipate what's going to happen so that they're not in the dark about it. Because a lot of people think that it's something else. They think that they got a cold, they, you know, whatever, they go for other medicine, you know, they think they're depressed for some other reason. When in reality, there's a constellation of symptoms that are very predictable. And the timeline is now even predictable. Uh, and then they go through kind of the mental part in days 14 through 30. And then the real work starts, Malia. Is that how you pronounce your name, Malia? Malia. Malia. That's exactly uh, where the real work starts, days 30 to 365. <clears throat> There's a ton of research out there, peer-reviewed studies. Even the CDC did one on the biggest loser. When people lose a lot of weight, which all of the diet plans that are worth the paper they're printed on say quit the white stuff. So basically when people reduce the white sugar and the white flour, they lose a bunch of weight and then they all gain it back in the first year and then some, they add interest to it. And the reason that is, is because they white knuckled or they muscled the detox itself and they got through it, sure, they worked, they lost a little weight. But what they did not do and what we do differently is during that time period, we lay in the, the, the pivot, we lay in the substitute for the sugar, which is uh, a different type of emotional management that I've mentioned before, walking, yoga, hugs, um, call a friend, massage, lots of different self-care things that are, uh, that, that are not your old go-to. And when people get that training and get that awareness and, and then use it. And more importantly, they gain a new tribe of friends who are doing this with them because in society, you're gonna be a loner if this is something that you desire because you know the food pushers and the moderation pushers, they say, we can do this in moderation, blah, blah, blah. It's just not true. And you know history has proven it to us over and over again. So the process is, what's that saying? It's uh, it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the social component um, of, you know, you're rewiring your brain to deal with, you know, um, deal with stress and dysregulation in a more adaptive way, in a healthier way. And yet you're kind of in embarking on a journey that is going to put you in social situations that you're, you're standing alone or you're having to break patterns and, and, and um, change, change the way that you're reacting to social environments. So that's got to be challenging um, sure. when we're asking people to um, rely maybe more on their social connections to deal with their emotions. And yet those social connections are going to shift as a result of the new behaviors that they're developing. Oh, I mean, it's kind of incredible that uh, people that aren't in the new tribe that you've joined who have, have all decided they're going to do that, that they're just not even that supportive. The majority of our folks don't even are the only person in their own family, their own house, their own nuclear group. Uh, even mostly spouses, a lot of times are not supportive. So it becomes very difficult. And 
without that social uh, infrastructure, building out a new friend group, a new tribe who gets you and understands that this is something that's important to you and that you've done the research. Um, it's the founder of the food addiction who says this needs inordinate an inordinate amount of support. And that's what we found. And my business, quote unquote, my practice, if you will, did not take off until we started building the vessel uh, of forums and Zoom meetings so that people could uh, meet and relate with one another. And that's when the, the magic started to happen. So I, I know that's the secret sauce to it all. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Yep, absolutely. And, and building that new tribe that's going to be supportive of your new journey. So I am um, moving forward, asking some sleep related questions to all of my guests, or at least I'm trying to remember Mm. to do so. So switching the topic back to sleep, what's the best piece of sleep advice that you have ever received? Buy an aura ring. (laughs) I, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they're great. I mean, I slept pretty good, I thought, um, but it was, I think, um, uh, subconsciously, the, the ring will train you to understand the parts that you're missing, and you move towards better sleep hygiene, I think. I, I mean, so at least that, for me. Yeah, with using it with the data that you're seeing in the app. So exactly. for listeners, an aura ring is a sleep tracker, but instead of wearing it on your wrist like a watch, it is it is a ring that goes around your finger. Yeah, for me anyway, that was, and I mean, I'll, I should say quitting sugar, but uh, I mean, I think that goes without saying. Right, right. So then that, that kind of answers the next one. What's the one sleep product you can't live without? Is there another one other than the ring? Okay, so this is a little far out. Are you right? Is it okay? Oh, sure, yeah. So I, I started following this guy uh, about, breathing, nose breathing versus mouth breathing. And he, and there's a great book out there that is mostly about him. He didn't write it, but it's mostly about him called breath, I think. And what they do is they tape your mouth, you tape your mouth closed at night and you only breathe through your nose and the benefits are unbelievable. They're just out of this world. Um, For me anyway, uh, it changes a lot. I sleep less, that kind of thing. And it's just a fascinating study about, uh, you know, that the nasal cavity behind the, the, behind your nose is like the size of a cue ball. And it's just this, uh, you know, this processed air going in and, and the, the science is all there and, and I've tried it and it works and it sounds weird. And it's weird when your partner's like, what the hell are you doing kind of thing? But um, it does work. And, and I'm, I'm kind of a fan now. And he's got other gizmos that you breathe through during, uh, like when you're sitting at the computer, apparently you're supposed to breathe through your nose, I think like twice as much as through your mouth or right, it's yeah. about the carbon dioxide. And I'm, I'm just, I'm totally enthralled with it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm early in it, but it seems to be working for me. Oh, and what's uh, the name? What, is there a name or something? I think that- it's unconscious. Oh yeah, I got it right on the thing. I got the little gizmo right here. It's called um, 
Oh, the relaxer.com is the name of the gizmo, but I think he's at uh, consciouslease.com or something. I forget his name. Um, I can look it up for you, but I, I forget it. But the relaxer, yeah, the relaxator.com, R-E-L-A-X-A-T-O-R, relaxator.com is the okay. little gizmo. That'll lead you to him and his work and the mouth tape and all that kind of stuff. He's from Sweden. Oh, oh, well, of course. Yeah. All, all the great functionality stuff. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> whizzes at that kind of thing. Yeah. Very interesting stuff too. It's it, And like I said, the science is, he has a book too, but the better book is the book Breath. I think it's Breath. Uh, just came out about a year ago um, about him. Mostly. All right. Well, that's something to look into. So what's one thing that listeners can do today to improve their sleep? Um, again, the good sugar, but I, I think the, uh, you know, I think it's exercise to be honest with you and caffeine too, but I think it's exercise when, oh, people, absolutely. Yeah. when people tell me that, and it's for me, I mean, there's a marked difference on days I walk and days I don't, um, on how much I sleep, how much I wake up refreshed. It also buys me a, an hour of alertness at the end of the day. Um, so that aerobic exercise I think is the main uh, and, and when you look at this, the aura ring data, I, you know, approach two hours of deep sleep versus one hour when I don't exercise. So it's that kind of unconscious learning that you kind of get to understand. And now you have proof, right? You know, people, right, can, you, right. Can, you can see it that the days I walked, I get an hour of deep sleep and, you know, then REM sleeps above that. But, you know, when I, uh, I get more when I deep, you know, when I, when I actually yeah. exercise. And the exercise really helps too with some of the challenges that people are dealing with right now in this space, in this environment, which is spending so much time indoors and struggling to fall asleep at night because you're not, there's not enough light exposure and there's not enough movement in our day. Yeah. And that is something that can really help with that. So yeah, so and it's great to have thing, the, can I have, the data. Can I have two answers? Of course. Because I've been doing this for over 30, 40 years. I don't even know. And I do it with heat or cold. It doesn't matter. I close the door and get the circulation different. But I always crack the window. Always. It doesn't matter. Um, like I said, the heat can be on. The air conditioning can be on. It doesn't matter. I always crack the window. And that seems to help. It really does. It, it, I think that there is a lot of volume detoxed uh, in front through our lungs, the air wise. And I really, I, I, I've just, I, I think it's a habit now that I can't break, but I really believe that it does help me sleep better to have fresher right. air. In the, so yeah. Me. Well, where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, sugaraddiction.com. Uh, there's a big yellow book there. You can see it. Uh, called The Last Resort Sugar Detox. It's free to download. We used to have it on Amazon. It was actually a bestseller for a couple of years back, 2018 or something. And uh, we kind of brought it home. We give it away for free because uh, we're growing the platform for folks that, you know, kind of a social change movement at some level. Our goal is to get down to uh, women of childbearing age and to kind of understand. And a lot of that science is coming out now, but most of all, it's it, or right now it's the adults uh, kind of putting their own oxygen mask on first. But yeah, sugaraddiction.com. 
Right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and for going through some of this with us today. This is really fascinating. And I think um, listeners can can look you up and find out more information and, and maybe start their own journey um, with with sugar addiction. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Now you know. Thanks for checking out the show.